0: The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you'd like to find out more about us and how we strive to be a gospel-centered, city-focused church community, visit us at missioday.org. Father, thank you for uh, the work of your spirit among your people. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning, to hear your word. My prayer is that as we open it, we see Christ And it gives us freedom, forgiveness, salvation, and hope that we go out of here a people more equipped, more empowered, more encouraged to open up our mouths about the truths of the reality that Jesus has come out of the tomb and there is victory over sin and death. We ask that you would give us courage and boldness in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so we're in week two, which means there was a week one, but it wasn't last week. Last week was Mother's Day. We were in the Old Testament. So two weeks ago, we opened up the book of Ephesians into chapter four, and we saw that Jesus has bound us together in peace by laying aside our sins, by putting them on the cross, burying them in a tomb, and removing them from us, and he has maintained for us in this bond of peace, unity. He's brought us together. He's made us a family. And so what he's called us to do as his disciples is to eagerly maintain that unity. You guys remember that, that sermon? So he's called us to eagerly maintain it. What we talked about is that, that gets expressed in three ways. Uh, the first way is it gets expressed through humble gentleness, which means we use the strength that God has given us to fight on behalf of one another, not against one another. Then we talked about uh, this uh, unity being eagerly maintained through patience. And we said that's the call to create space for people to grow. That not everybody's going to be at the same place. So we need to be patient with one another. The third thing we talked about was that we need to accept one another in love. This means we make active decisions on behalf of one another to cover sin for one another. You guys remember that? That's what we talked about, and that's important to remember because this morning we're going to carry along this theme of eagerly maintaining unity, and what we're going to look at today is this idea of maintaining unity among a diverse group of people, okay? So that's what we're going to look at. I'm going to pick it up in verse 7 of chapter 4 and read down to verse 16. So here we are, verse 7, but, and that's connected to everything that came before, but, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. And Father, now as we open your word, may it point to Christ, who is our head, who is our satisfaction, who is our joy. We need your spirit to breathe out on us for that to happen. So we ask for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I wanna point out a couple of things. And this morning, I believe, is going to be intensely practical. In fact, I had two of the uh, little high school girls that were here at the nine o'clock come up to me and, and say thank you, they really enjoyed my teaching. And it was funny um, because they were a little bit embarrassed to come up and talk to me, but I'm really glad they did. Like, I'm, I'm glad that uh, my teaching can resonate with high school girls, amen? It's a good thing, it's a very good thing. So, uh, it means I'm not that out of touch, all right? It's a good thing, we're growing. Here's some things that I want to point out in the text. The first statement in verse 7. I want us to pay attention to to, to what Paul, who is in prison as a direct result of his ministry, is telling us. And it's going to be very practical. And then the the, the actual application points are going to be relatively brief, but they're kind of a summary. So here it is. Verse 7. Paul tells us, grace was given to each one of us. Grace was given to each one. One of us. Now I want to pause here before I talk about each one of us. I want to define what Paul is saying. So the very first word that we're looking at—I know he says "but," and that connects it to the things that have come before. But this idea of grace—so many of us in life have no idea what grace is or what that word means. But it's such an essential aspect to our Christian faith. It's such an essential aspect to this idea of one faith one lord one baptism this idea of grace and it's something that gets ignored forgotten misapplied so let's talk about it for a minute the first thing i want to do for you is i want to define what grace is okay so here's my definition of uh, of grace uh, wait i didn't make the point i wanted to make right the point i want to make and then we'll define grace the point is this each of us has a gift that we do not deserve each of us has a gift that we do not deserve Now, before I talk about the each one of us part, I want to talk about that grace piece. So, here's my definition of grace. Grace is this. Grace is the undeserved or unmerited or unearned, whatever word you like, you didn't deserve it, but it's the undeserved favor of God. It's God giving you what you didn't earn and what you didn't deserve. That's grace. And it's connected to another idea in the Bible that describes who God is. Another word that you might have heard is the the word mercy, right? When you read the Bible, you read things like, God is a merciful God. Now, mercy and grace are very similar ideas. And, And mercy is a very good thing. Mercy is almost the converse, but it's connected to the idea of grace. Mercy is this. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's mercy, Right, So if my kid is acting up and and he needs to be stopped, a lot of times I need to just jump in there and and stop whatever's happening. But if I'm merciful, I I won't do it to the fullest extent that I could. You guys with me so far? That's mercy, not getting what you deserve. Grace is going a step further and giving you what you don't deserve. Here's the way this, this works out theologically in our relationship with God, Okay. God, and it talks about this, God descended, that that God came to us in the person of Jesus, that God took on flesh, he walked among us. And what we should have done is that we should have received him. We should have trusted him. We should have listened to him. We should have obeyed and worshiped him. If we knew the Father appropriately, we would have done those things, but we didn't. Instead, when Jesus descended to us, we ignored him, We rejected him, we worshiped other things, the the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Like instead of doing those things, we rejected God and we killed him. And what that should have done, what, what we earned as a result, what we deserved is the wrath of God, right? That's what we deserve because we reject God and we kill him and we do it in our hearts every day. And so God's mercy is not striking us in that moment. That's His mercy. That's Him not giving us what we do deserve. And God is a merciful God. Amen? Amen. So He doesn't give us what we deserve. And then He goes a step further and He gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. And God comes to us and He offers us forgiveness. He offers us restoration. He offers us healing. He gives us hope. He communes with us. He gives us power. He gives us communion. That's grace. And here's what Paul says from a prison in Rome. Each one of us has been given grace. Now this does not apply to those who who don't trust God, right? This is for those of us who are believers. This is those of us who have been set apart. If you go all the way back to Ephesians chapter one, that's who Paul is addressing, to the saints and the faithful ones, the ones who are believing and have been set apart because they've trusted Christ. If you haven't trusted Christ, you get a measure of grace, but it's temporary. Our hope as a church, for those of you who have not trusted Christ, is that you would trust him so that the grace of God for you is eternal. Amen? Amen. That's what we want. We want that eternal grace of God. But Paul says, each one of us has received this grace. We've each been given something that we haven't deserved. Now, some of us miss out on this. Some of us miss out because we falsely believe that God owes us something. We have an inflated view of our own goodness. Like, of course God would give me this gracious gift because I'm a wonderful person, right? And, and he owes me. That's the least that he could do is give me forgiveness because he made me and he owes that to me. We, we have a completely biblically misunderstood un, like concept of who God is. Because the Bible teaches us that as God comes to us in grace, we continue to slap his hand away. And what he owes us is, is wrath and condemnation. But instead, he's merciful and gracious and gives us forgiveness and hope and life. And so some of us miss out on what God is up to because we think he owes us something. And then others of us miss out on it because we think that God doesn't give us anything good. We think that all the time that God is interacting with us, he's only doing things to trip us up and maybe to make fun of us, right? And so I want us to see that God is gracious and he's gracious to each one of us. He's gracious to every single one of us. Each of us has a a grace uh, given to us. But how is it delivered? And so I'll complete the rest of that statement. Verse seven, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here's what this means. It means each of us, yes, we have a gift that is undeserved, but it also means each of us has a gift that is diverse. It's diverse. It comes to us in different ways. So, Grace was given to every one of us, but the grace is delivered out uniquely according to the measurement of Christ. He is God. He gets to do what he wants to do. And so he delivers out gifts the way that he wants to use them. But what it means is that each of us has a unique and diverse way of teaching the truth about God so that unity is maintained. That's still the driving force and the point of where Paul is taking us. Okay, so I'm gonna unpack this a little bit further. It's really simple. We don't all possess the same giftedness, right? We we all see this. Some of us are stronger. Some of us are smarter. Some of us are better looking, right? And maybe I should say some of you because I have none of those qualities, right? (laughs) Right? And then at 9 o'clock, I heard, a, I heard a slight amen, right? I was like, "Whoo, okay. We don't have the same experience. We don't have the same backgrounds. We don't have the same weaknesses. We don't have the same strengths. But we can be united. Because God, the same God, gives us these gifts. Now, some of us are going to miss out on God's work here. And the reason we're going to miss out on it is because we hear this idea of diversity And we start to believe lies that our culture tells that there are multiple ways and multiple gods. And listen, if you're honest, you cannot read the Bible and come to that conclusion. You absolutely can't. The Bible makes claims like there is only one God and you should have no other gods but him. In fact, that's the first of all of our big laws, right? There's one God. There aren't many gods, and so you're gonna miss out on God's work if you believe the lies that there are many gods and many ways to God. In fact, we're coming off, this is week two, week one, one Lord, right? One God and Father, one faith, one baptism. That stuff all has to be true. Now, there are, there, there's a diversity of ways of experiencing the one God, but there is only one God. And you will miss out on who God is if you start embracing the lies that there are multiple gods and multiple ways to him you'll believe in false gods. Now, there are a diversity of ways of relating to him, okay? And the way I explain this, I explain it often. Look, my way of coming to Jesus might not be the same way that you came to Jesus. And here's the way I often describe this. For some of us, our experience in coming alive in our faith with God is like sitting on a beach on a clear day. You can watch the orb of the sun peak up over the horizon you can write down the very time and moment that the light comes into your life. That that was my experience. I didn't grow up in in the faith, right? I heard things about Jesus, but it never really made sense. And and then in my senior year of high school, a good friend of mine became a Christian, and he started explaining Jesus in ways that started to make sense. And as I hung out with him and and, uh, some of his friends, my wife was a part of that group of friends, they began to explain it more clearly. And then what happened for me is that on August eleventh, nineteen ninety-five, late in the evening, it finally all came together, and I, and I was with my wife in my Volks, nineteen seventy-one Volkswagen Beetle because I was a cool kid in high school. Amen. Yeah, some of you are like yeah, we'll teach you what cool is. But I was and I was in my nineteen seventy-one Volkswagen Beetle, and I remember in that moment my heart needed Jesus, and I cried out in a simple prayer, Jesus, I, I need your forgiveness. Come save me, something along those lines. But I remember it was evening on August 11th, 1995. I mean, I could name the time when it happened. Some of you didn't have that same exact experience, and that's okay. It's not important of, like, can you name the time. For some of us, our faith coming to life is like a cloudy hike on a morning in the woods. You you may have grown up in in a home where you heard about Jesus a lot. And you don't know exactly at what point Jesus came alive to you. But you know as you look out, there's light in your life, right? You may have been hiking through the woods on a cloudy day. The question isn't, can you name the time? The question is, is Jesus the light of your world? And if he is, you may have approached him from a diverse experience and background, but, but it's the same Jesus that's giving light to our lives. That's what we're after, it comes across in a diverse manner of ways. Some of us, again, we miss it because we, we think diversity of gifts means diversity of gods. Others of us miss this because we think that unity means uniformity. And so what we start to do is we start making people's experience line up with our own. We want their behavior, their ideology, their politic to match our own. Otherwise, we're gonna question whether or not they really are in or out of the faith. And that's a problem. It's not the way God works. There's a diversity of gifts. Christ gives it out according to his measure, not according to our measure. And so I'll tell you, you one of the ugliest ways this gets played out in the Christian church is when it comes to politics. Was Jesus a Republican, a Democrat, or a Libertarian? And the answer is, None. It's exactly right. He was none of those. Thank you for your boldness. He was none of these, right? And some of you are like, you fit in one of those camps and you understand it about the others, but you don't understand how does he not fit into your political camp? The reality is his teaching, it was cross-cultural. Like there was no Republican, there was no Democrat, there was no libertarian back when Jesus walked the earth. He doesn't fit into one of those political schemes, And we need to keep this in mind because if there's going to be unity, it needs to be around Christ. And sometimes that gets worked out a little bit differently politically. And sometimes people are coming to the table from different places. And so we need to be gracious and merciful in the same way that God is. Not unbending and unrelenting, right? We need to hold our conviction to the gospel, but we need to be gracious and make sure they are convictions that are tied to the gospel of Jesus, not to our politics. We'll miss it if everybody has to look like us, act like us, dress like us, speak like us. Man, the world is a great big place. And if I expect everybody to speak the way that I do, then I'm eliminating everyone who doesn't speak English or broken Spanish, amen? We don't want that. We want God to be able to speak in, in transcendent ways to multiple cultures. And so we don't expect everybody to look just like us, we need to be gracious, let's not miss the work of God, because we believe mistakenly that unity means uniformity, but he goes on, verse 11, he, he talks about ascending and descending, I'm gonna come back to that, in verse 11 he says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, now I wanna jump into that, because the reason we need, uh, the, the reason I wanna jump into that is because we should be asking the question, okay, If each of us has this gracious gift of God, well, what is the gift? And the answer is, what he gave is people with the ability to teach truth about who God is. Those are the diverse gifts. He gave us one another. That's the gift of God. That's the grace of God in our life. People, some of them are apostles, some of them are prophets, some of them are are shepherds and teachers, right? All of these gifts And so if we go back along our lines, point one, each of us has a gift we don't deserve. Each of us has a gift that is diverse. And each of us has a gift that is declarative. All of these gifts are a a, a way of teaching truth about who God is. Some of it is people who have this unique spiritual gift of going to new places. That's an apostolic gift, right? He gave the apostles, Some of us have the gift of being able to declare truth in a way that affects the hearts of people. That's prophetic. Some of us have this ability to just really care for people, shepherds. Some of us have the ability to teach really clearly and articulately who Jesus is. But each of us has a gift that we don't deserve. It's diverse. Not everybody has the same gift. And it's declarative. Right? Because each of us, uh, we, we are the people who are supposed to build one another up. People who can go, declare, share, care, and teach God's truth in a variety of ways so that the world hears that there's forgiveness for their sins and there's a hope for the healing of our world. That's what God is up to. And we're supposed to eagerly maintain a unity around that. The gift of grace is an ability to teach the truth about the true God so that the people of God can be built up, so that they can be equipped to build others up, so that they can be empowered and released to go into wherever it is that God has them to tell the truth about Jesus, so that they can be encouraged and applauded. Guys, listen. In the church, we need to be about building one another up. Because when we leave this room, we go out into a world that is primarily visibly ruled by the prince of the power of the air, Jesus has defeated him on the cross. He has defeated him in the resurrection. But that defeat is primarily spiritual right now. It will one day be a physical reality. That's our hope. But right now, we go out of these doors into a world that is ruled by the enemy. And he wants to spiritually kick your teeth in. And one of his tactics is the tactic of discouragement. And one of the tactics of the church is the tactic of building up. And here's what I've learned in life, because I've had kids, and when they're really little and they're toddlers, when they're children, what they do is they knock things down, they break things, they make a big mess, right? Sometimes they make a mess in their pants, and it creates a lot of extra work for the people that love them, right? You guys that have little kids, you're like, oh, I know all about that. One of the problems in the church is that that's the way we go around, as little children making big messes. It doesn't take much thought or maturity or growth or strength to make a mess, It takes thought and foresight and care and concern to build up. And I think this happened with each of my kids as they were toddlers, Um, except for Ashton. Maybe he would do this to me, but we would be playing with blocks, and somebody would build a tower. And when you're a child, like, that's this amazing feat of strength. I built this tower. And then one of the other kids would come in and just knock it over, right? We don't want to be the kids that knock things down. We want to be the kids that build things up. I want to grow up out of that, to be adults. That's what Paul is calling us to be. We want to grow up. We want to grow up out of this. The world needs this. It's one of the things I'm constantly reminding our family. We have a mission statement. We've had a mission statement for about 14, 15 years. And it's like constantly something that we try to remind one another of. My wife painted it on a canvas. It hangs in our dining room. And it's the idea that we were put together as a family by God, And and there are four kind of points. One, we are rooted in God's love. We're rooted in God's love for what reason? To build up one another and to serve others for generations to come. It hangs in our dining room because we're in our mealtime. We like to talk about that. We like to point out, hey, what you did, are you said to so-and-so today, was that building up? Because we're a family that builds up. Hey, what you did, are you serving? Because we're a family that serves. So I'd encourage you dads, like, craft a mission statement for your family. It helps with discipline. It helps with guidance. It helps with shepherding. But one of the things that I feel like I'm constantly reminding my family of, myself as well, we're a family that builds up because we, we live in a world that tears down. And the church is supposed to be the place where people are built up. They go from being children that are knocked around to being adults that are built up. Some of us miss out on what God is doing because we never tell anybody anything about Jesus. Listen, each of us has a gift, some type of gift to declare truth about God, and some of us are missing out on God's work because we won't open up our mouths. We see people that we love, they're lost under the curse of sin, and we have the hope of the world to tell them, listen, Jesus can offer you forgiveness and healing, and we don't say it. And then some of us are saying it a lot, right? But some of us miss out on what God is up to because we're talking so often, we don't stop to listen to where God is at work. We don't stop to listen to the other people that are saying it in other ways. Like some of you will never get up here on a stage, but you'll go to places where those of us who stand on stages can never get to because you'll sit in living rooms with broken people and, and you'll see the work of God put on display. And so it's incumbent upon those of us who talk a lot to be able to listen so we can hear those stories and share those stories in a way that, again, builds up the body of Christ. Each of us has the grace of God. It's something that's not deserved. Each of us has the grace of God in a way that is diverse, and each of us has the grace of God that should be declarative. And so we need to exercise this, because if we don't, we will remain children. People will remain lost under the curse of their sin And when it comes to the end of life, they won't get the mercy and grace of God anymore. They'll only get his wrath. We want to see people rescued from that. Some of us miss out on these things because we don't want to admit that we have weaknesses. We don't want to admit that we need the strength of God. We don't want to admit that we're actually little children. I had a Pentecostal pastor when I was uh, preaching in Asheville come up to me after uh, a sermon once And he said, listen, I really appreciate the transparency that you're sharing with your congregation. But let me tell you, that's a dangerous thing to do. You are God's anointed man. You are supposed to stand behind that pulpit and be an example, an example of what they should be. And and I said, man, I I appreciate that. I, I understand your perspective. Thank you. But listen, if I ever get up here and tell you that I've got it all together and I've figured it out and I don't need Jesus, I'm a very poor example of what it means to follow him. I don't wanna set that bar on that level. What I wanna do is tell you that I need the same Jesus that I'm telling you you need. I need him on a daily basis because I have weaknesses. I have blind spots. I have struggles. I have weakness of faith. I have all those things the same way that you do. I need the same spiritual strength of God to sustain me, to get me up here to say anything. And so I don't ever wanna do that. I am a child who is weak but I wanna grow in strength, amen? And that's what God does. He gives us that strength. He doesn't want us to be children who are tossed to and fro by the waves of the sea. Listen, I know how terrifying that can be. In the summer of 1999, I was in my senior year of college and I was invited to lead a a mission team to the island of Guam. How many of you guys know where Guam is? A few of you, yeah, I thought it was a fruit. It's not a fruit. It's an island with real, live, living people. Right? If you fly from here to Houston, stop. You get on a plane in Houston, you fly eight hours to Honolulu. That's a pit stop. You get on a plane again, you fly another eight hours, and then you're on the island, not the fruit, the island of Guam, okay? And there are people that we led a camp. And one of the last days over that summer, like, it was a great summer. It was my, one of my first like, global mission trips, and I was leading it, and we built this camp and had these great relationships. Uh, I asked my wife to marry me when we were on that. We weren't married at the time. Like, she was not my wife that you guys were with me, okay? I I asked Shannon to be my wife. She said yes. It was a glorious time. A couple days later, it was one of the last days we were on the island. I'm out surfing, and a group of us had been out in the ocean surfing for the day. Some of the guys went in because there was a pond in the jungle and a little freshwater pond with a vine you could swing in. It was amazing. Anyway, I'm out there by myself. And I get swept out to sea. And I remember, I'm I'm a pretty strong swimmer. But I remember thinking, like, if you ever get pulled out by the current, by a riptide, you're supposed to swim, like, parallel to the shore. The problem is, Guam is a small island. And the further out you go, like, you can't really tell which direction the shore is going. And so I'm swimming in all kinds of different directions. and, And I just can't make any headway. And I started to panic, and I start to yell because the people are on the beach, they think I'm just out there having a grand old time, but I'm not, I'm I'm getting scared. And I got swept out to sea. And and Paul is saying, like, that's a scary thing. When you have no control and no ability to go where you want, but the sea is just throwing you back and forth. Now, this isn't part of the illustration, but so you know, I survived, okay? (laughs) And, And it's a cool story, I won't give you all the details, but God sent an angel to pop up out of the water, a Chamorro guy named John. Uh, that's not a typical Chamorro name. And uh, he, wasn't, he didn't have a t- typical Chamorro affection for Americans, but he helped me back into the shore. So I tell everybody, that's the, 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 the angel of God brought me back because he said I had work to do. And here I am doing it, at least Lord willing. Okay, so I, I survived. But it's a terrifying experience. But that's not the only illustration he gives. One thing when it comes to not understanding who God is or what he's up to, one is being tossed to and fro in the sea. The other is being carried along by the wind. Now, I think this probably had to do with shipping, but I don't get on sailboats. I get on airplanes. Have you ever been on an airplane that's hit turbulence and you just drop out of the sky? And the whole plane gasps, right? Or you're coming in for a landing and all of a sudden there's a big you know, big gale of wind that pushes you to the side and you think, oh, We're going to flip over. It's a terrifying experience. And and Paul says, if you're not grounded in the grace of God, you're going to be a child that's tossed around in the sea or carried along by the wind. And it it comes across in the teaching, right? This doctrine that is led more by cunning, craftiness, and deceit. All of these ideas have have to do with the idea of being deceived or being tricked, being pushed away from the one true God, being pushed away from the reality that you are empowered with God's grace, being tricked from the idea that there should be diversity among the body of Christ, being tricked from the idea that you have to open up your mouth and you sometimes have to close it so you can hear what's going on. Paul says, I don't want you to be thrown around by that, I want you to be I want you to grow and I want you to build up one another. And so in summary of all of this, and I'll make the last portion of this a little bit quicker, we're to use our diverse gifts to build interdependence on each other and dependence on Christ. How are we gonna do this? Well, if we're gonna maintain unity, we must embrace this diversity. We've gotta embrace the diversity of God's spirit working in his people. We've gotta embrace the reality that Folks, you are the church. You are the church. Each of you has a grace gift that you've declared. And so, I be expressed in unique ways, but it's gotta be declared. And so, I love you, but if you're depending on me to be that spiritual gift, it, it's gonna fall short. You're not depending on Christ, you're depending on, on flesh. And flesh will leave you weak. And wounded, It will leave you sick and sore, to borrow the words from the hymn. I want to I encourage you, press into Christ. He is the one that gives us these gifts. The, the gifts come from Jesus. They are not our natural abilities. You guys get that? Your gifts are not your natural abilities. Now, Jesus may take your natural abilities, and he may redeem and empower them, But too often, we just rely on our natural abilities to try to advance the spiritual kingdom of heaven. And we wonder why we're not experiencing fruit. So here's how we get our natural abilities to be redeemed and empowered. We spend time in communion with God by learning from his word and asking him to empower us through prayer. There is no substitute for this. There's just absolutely no way we can get around seeing the kingdom of God advance if we refuse to be informed by his word and empowered by prayer. Those two things are essential. Listen, every year, Me and a couple of the elders here, we we grab a group of guys and we put them in a a cohort that we call the Elder Discovery Cohort. We kick it off with a retreat weekend. We have a lot of fun. We talk about the office of elder. We say, listen, every man is called to be a pastor in some form. You either pastor your own life, maybe a, a group of roommates, maybe God blesses you with a family, but that family will live on a street. We want you to shepherd that if he gives you the capacity to do that. As he continues to expand your capacity, you might shepherd a community, then you might shepherd a region of communities, and you might be a shepherd in the church, but at some level, in some way, you're called to shepherd, so the first thing that we deal with when we get into training is you need to be a man of the word and a man of prayer, because listen, we need men who love Jesus, Pastor Justin and I, Matt, all our our, our lay elders, everybody, like we need men who love Jesus, because we're going to fail one another, aren't we, (laughs) we're going to make mistakes, we're going to disappoint, we're going to frustrate. And if you don't love Jesus and have forgiveness and grace to offer one another, we're going to absolutely fail one another and fail you. So we need men who are men of the word and men of prayer. And this is for all of us. Like you have natural abilities, but they'll only take you so far. But, but when God takes those abilities and he redeems them for your joy and for his glory, that's when it becomes eternal. So we want to be a people who are informed by God's word and empowered by his prayer. Some of us miss out because we just lean on our natural abilities. Here's here's what Jesus tells us. He took on flesh. He descended to the lower parts of the earth, right? He came to be one of us. He took upon himself all of our brokenness, all of our sickness, and he went to the cross to remove it from us, to put it to death. Then he buried it in a tomb so they could be taken away from us. And then three days later, he ascended. Well, he didn't ascend three days later, but he resurrected three days later, declaring victory. And then 40 days later, he ascended. He ascended to the Father, and he says, I'm building my kingdom. We wanna be connected to the Jesus who is resurrected and ascended, amen? If we are informed by his word, empowered by his spirit, we're gonna see these things coming out of our lives. And the reality is, and this is what I wanna hang like this gospel conviction on, God is most enjoyed. We're gonna see what God is up to. He is most enjoyed when a diverse group of gifted people tell the truth about him. When, when people from all different backgrounds and experiences coming from different walks of life have the same forgiveness story to tell, I am a sinner, Jesus covers my sin, that's seeking to build one another up. As long as we're immature and we're picking on one another, we're not seeking to build one another up, the world, they're gonna, be, they're, they're gonna be distracted by other diversions. But if a diverse group of people says, Jesus, save me, it's gonna give them hope. So we wanna see that happen. How do we do it? Verse 15. The contrast to being tossed about by the waves and carried along by the wind, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. That's our calling. That's what we need to do. That's what what Paul is encouraging us. And so I I wanna see this happen in two ways. Number one, I want us to discover our gifts. You need to discover your gifts. So keep in mind, the gift of the Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Are you guys aware of the fruit of the Spirit? It's mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. Last summer I got to teach a kid's camp and my whole week was focused on Galatians chapter 5. And what I taught the kids is if, if you'll notice in Galatians 5, it says the fruit, singular, the fruit of the spirit is, and that gives a long list of qualities that describe the fruit of the spirit. So the way I described it to them is it, it's, the, it's a tree with a fruit with nine flavors, okay? But nine flavors should be produced in your life as you're declaring the truth about God. Love, joy, peace, patience, patience gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, and so what I want you to do is like be informed by the word, be empowered by prayer, go out as you're speaking the truth, see where fruit starts to develop. Man, if, if, if you believe that you're going new places, see if there's fruit there. That's that apostolic thing. If you think you're prophetic, I thought this was me for a long time, turns out I was just kind of a young immature jerk, right? But if you think you're prophetic, you're gonna say words that are gonna change people's behavior. But it's gonna change it with more love, more joy, more peace. If you're gonna care for people, you're a shepherd. See where more love, joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit is being developed. Right? If you're a teacher, however you're declaring it, discover your gift. And as you are operating in the gift, of the, the, the gift of the Spirit, it will produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you evaluate if it's your gift or not. This is why community becomes so important. You see that? Because you're gonna have other people be able to evaluate. You can't grow in a relationship with Jesus in isolation. You have to grow in interdependence on his people and dependence on him. But, But work that out. Discover your gift. And then as you're discovering it, number two, deploy it. Walk in it. Speak the truth and do it in love. These two ideas, they have to stay together. We can speak the truth, but if we speak the truth and we don't love people, we're not operating in the grace of God. Some of us are good at that. We like to declare the truth, but we don't do it because we love people. We simply want to make a point. We don't want to make a difference. And so we've got to scale back and ask the question, how do I speak this truth and do it in a way that's loving? Now, let me flip that. Because on the other hand, some of us will never say anything because we think we're being loving. You guys know, when we keep our mouths shut, it's not a loving thing to do. So if my my five-year-old son is wandering out into the street and a car is bearing down on him, how on earth is it loving if I don't say anything? If something is going to destroy somebody or somebody is gonna be left lost under the curse of their sin and I don't say anything, how on earth is that loving? No, these two things, they go together. We are to be a people who speak the truth in love. And as we do that, we see people built up to the point where the body starts to, it says at the end of our verse, it's gonna grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what we wanna see, amen? We wanna see a church that is effective, gathering in here as fuel for the scattering out there to be on mission. Ladies and gentlemen, each one of us has the grace of God given to us. You've got something. You've got a gift that you didn't deserve. It's diverse. It's declarative. But each of you has something to offer if you trust in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. So i want to close by saying this and I'm going to pray for us. Unity will be maintained the church will be equipped, empowered, and encouraged. It will be built up to grow in joy as we embrace our diverse, declarative gifts of God that we don't deserve because God is merciful and gracious, and he allows us opportunities to speak the truth in love. Let me pray for us, and then we're gonna respond. Father, our desire at Missio is to increase The joy of your people, to give hope to the world through the work of your son, Jesus. And so we ask now that those of us who have embraced the one faith, those of us who have been baptized into your spirit by faith in Christ, would be now filled by your spirit to speak the truth in love so that our communion with you might be strong and your name might be proclaimed in all the world. We ask this